Welcome back to the True Craft Podcast. Today's guest is an innovator in the hazy beer space and an innovator in the brewery space in general with the efforts towards sustainability, inclusivity, and community. We're talking with Jen Kimmick from The Alchemist out of Stowe, Vermont. We talk about how they became a certified B Corporation in 2017, the details and effort behind their 2020 action plan, along with a trip back to the early innovation days of their hazy beer, the Heady Topper. Alrighty, now on to the episode. Staring at that canning line really lit a fire in us. Beers for everyone in society. In my opinion, the world's greatest social uniter. There's no time in my life that I didn't think, oh, this would be a good time for a beer. Hey, I want to welcome Jen Kimmick from the one and only Alchemist. Welcome, Jen. Hey, thanks, Chris. Nice to be here. So can I call you guys the OGs of the OGs of the OGs of the OGs of Hazy Beers? Uh, we've been called worse, so sure, you can call us that. <laughs> <laughs> no, is that an insult or is that a, like, is that an insult? No, no, I don't think so. No, I, you know, John and I will say we spend a lot of time educating people um, on unfiltered beer and how to mm-hmm. accept unfiltered beer. Um, so, you know, we take a lot of pride in the fact that it's widely accepted today. You know, yeah. it is, it's what people drink unfiltered IPA just 10 years ago. That wasn't the case. So it's cool. It's cool. To right. right. So take me back to when you and John started and what the beer looked like then were you, was it unfiltered back in 20, 2006 when you guys started or were you making clear beer and then you walk me through the history? Yeah, that's a really great question. We opened our brew pub in the village of Waterbury in 2003. Um, And at that time, we always had anywhere from eight to 10 beers on tap, sometimes more, 12 beers on tap. Um, We always had an IPA. We always had a porter. We always had a red. um, And then the others would rotate in or out. Um, Always our late weight, which is like a Pilsner. Um, But never did we filter our beer. Um, You know, if John was making lagers, maybe he would filter them. Um, but over time, John stopped filtering everything because what we found is that it, when you're making a clear beer, when you're looking for clarity, you're really sacrificing um, flavor. And, you know, I think we all know that now. Um, right. So, you know, it's funny. We always had unfiltered beer at the pub. And then in 2008, when we decided to put um, beer in a can and it took us a few years to, to get our business open, we knew we wanted to keep it unfiltered and people told us we were crazy that we had to filter our beer if we were going to put it in a can. Um, so a lot of experimentation started. Um, we, we knew it would be stable. We knew we could put it in a can and, and that's when we put our heads down and, and tried to make it happen. And then in 2011, of course, our first cans of Heady Topper rolled off our canning line. Um, some people were shocked. It was so hazy. Um, you know, it took us a while to really get the cans perfect, our dissolved oxygen, everything. So mm-hmm. you know, there were some floaties in the beginning. It wasn't unstable, but it was doing things that we didn't love. And it took us a while to really nail it down. Um, but, you know, people were shocked at first. You know, people were like, what the hell is this? What am I drinking? Why isn't right. this clear? How can you do this? Um, and now, ironically, today, you'd be surprised how many people say, why isn't your beer hazy? Hazier, it's not easy enough. So that's kind of ironic. Yeah. 
it's totally sure. just come full circle, right? Yeah, absolutely. In a short amount of time, really. You know, our first Kansas Heady Topper came out in 2011, you know, just a little over 10 years ago. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, I comment to that all the time that the craft brewing industry in general is so young, right? We had a boom in the 90s. And then that kind of tailed off. And then there was some a few few people that started in the 2000s, 2000, 2010, including yourselves. But this latest really insurgence was is only 10 years old in, in the, the massive numbers. And and I primarily talk about this when I'm mentioning stuff regarding valuation or sale or you know, business type conversations, that it's a young industry. There's very little history there. There's very little. So to your point. Yes, a lot has changed in in the past ten years, and it it it's only a decade. That's so young for an industry, so tiny for an industry. Absolutely. Tell me about your pub. Tell me about the food aspect of the pub back in two thousand three. Um, you know, we were a community pub. Uh, our food was affordable. We always wanted everything to be accessible and affordable. Uh, the day we opened, our pints of beer were $3. They were $3 the day we closed the doors. Um, and all of our food was pretty much under $12. We wanted anyone to be able to go in with $20 in their pocket and get a beer and fill their belly and have enough money to leave a little tip. That was kind of our goal. Um, mm. So, you know, everything was, we were really farm to table early on. We had local beef burgers, um, you know, all, all locally sourced cheeses and breads and uh, we had paninis and French fries and things of that nature. It was simple, but it was good. Um, and it was clean food. People liked it. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but sadly, we had to close our doors because it was um, lost in a flood in 2011, okay. right before we started canning Head & Topper. Okay. So, um, yeah, that, that was a pretty big loss for us. Um, but fortunately, we had already started building our new canning brewery. Um, but you know, it was never our intention not to have a restaurant. We thought we'd have that restaurant forever. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to hear that. I was unaware of the, of the flood and, and you losing it. So today you guys operate a production facility with a tap room only. So today we have two production breweries. We have one in Waterbury, Vermont, um, which is our original canning facility. And we make all of our heady topper there. And then we have this brewery that I'm sitting in now in Stowe, Vermont, um, we make all of our focal banger here and all of our specialty beers. And then we also have um, a tasting room, which is right now close to the public. We're only doing curbside. Um, okay. But we have a lot of cool plans um, for 2022 and for next year. Um, we're putting a four season awning onto our building. We're adding bathrooms. We're going to be bringing back our beer garden this summer. Nice. Really excited to open back up to the public, get live music in here again, um, just be vibrant, have our community members back inside. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 long. It's been a long a long journey, and I think the community will receive that very very well. They'll be very excited to to join. How many barrels of Heady Topper will you guys produce this year? Estimate about nine thousand. 9,000? Okay. Yeah. We make about 18,000 barrels total. So we do 9,000 in Waterbury, and then we do 9,000 barrels at this brewery. Um, we sell most of it right here in the state of Vermont. Um, we distribute about 85 to 90% of it in the state of Vermont, um, mm -hmm. a bit of that being sold right here through curbside. And then that little bit extra goes to other states, um, typically during our slower months, during mud season, 
um, when tourism slows down a little bit here in town. Cool. What's the split between package and draft of that of that barrelage? We don't do draft. Um, oh, it's a hundred percent package. A hundred percent in the can. Um, wow. We do that one draft account, um, Hen of the Wood. It's a fantastic restaurant here in Vermont. James Beard, winning chef. Um, so they have Heady Topper on draft. It's the only place you can get it. Um, you know, we made that decision early on because it's really efficient to put everything in the can. It's super stable. There's no waste. Um, we don't have to deal with cleaning kegs and washing kegs and, you know, distributing kegs, getting deposits, the whole thing. The can works really, really well for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something John likes to say is it is a perfect 16-ounce can. There yeah. is no dissolved oxygen in there. It is going to pour perfectly. It's going to be stable in your fridge, and you're not going to have a quarter of it left over that you have to dump after a party. So, Amazing. Totally amazing. I mean, if I had to say you guys came out with the can at a time when cans were risky with a style of beer that was risky and it all paid off. I mean, it really paid off very, very well. So kudos to you and John for putting this plan together. It's amazing. Thank you. You know, I can't tell you how many people told us we were crazy when we told them we were going to put a double IPA in a 16 ounce can and sell four packs. He said, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's crazy. And now you look in the cooler and it's uh, pretty rewarding to see so many four packs of double IPAs in there. <laughs> I'm telling you. So the, the intro of the, I could have, could have added a few more OGs on there and I would have been okay with the intro I gave you guys. So yeah, that's, that's really, really good. Uh, in, in the notes here that, that Josh sent me, talk to me about the becoming a certified B Corp and what, yeah. what that means to you guys and what the, who are you guys benefiting? What, what causes are you benefiting with the certified B Corp? Sure. Yeah. We became a certified B Corp about five years ago and we just finished mm-hmm. our reassessment. Um, and we take great pride in being a B Corp. It's not easy. You know, the assessment is a challenging thing to get through. Um, but since we opened in 2003, we've always been focused on our values and being a mission-driven business. It's always been, you know, the backbone of our business. Community first, um, employees first, and the environment first. And that's what we really focus on. And that holds true today. Um, you know, we do a lot of environmental work. Um, we're 100% solar powered in Waterbury. We're about 50% here. We have innovative wastewater um, facilities at both um, breweries. Um, we've won awards for our water handling and our water systems. Um, we have a biofilm reactor here that's a million-dollar system, and we have a full-time wastewater manager. So it's it's a big endeavor for sure. Um, aside from all of our environmental stuff, though, our, I think our employees and our, our workplace is what we take so much pride in. Um, we have a super inclusive workplace. Um, We have people with physical disabilities, intellectual disabilities. Uh, We have people of all ages, people from the age of 17 right up to 70. Um, And uh, that's what we take a lot of pride in. It's a great place to work. Um, Everyone's so kind to one another. Um, And collectively now we are all working together on our um, equity and inclusivity work. Um, both in the beer industry and here um, in our own community, trying to make our town of Stowe just more welcoming um, to everyone. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Let's talk about the wastewater for a second and 
explain to me what happens at a brewery that doesn't have specialized wastewater treatment versus what happens at the alchemist? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go through the process quickly here. So there's yeah. clear understanding. So all of our tank wash, um, we collect all of it. It goes into big cubes. We collect as much water as we can from going down the drain. And we collect them in these huge cubes and there's, you know, um, yeast slurry in there. There's hop residue, um, tank wash. Those get pumped five days a week from a company that trucks our waste to a bio, bio, I'm sorry, a generator and it's turned into clean energy. The rest of the water that goes down the drain goes to two huge um, holding tanks outside underground. And from those holding tanks, they come into our biofilm reactor. And what that does is it treats the water to remove all of the organic material. Um, And it's a two, three step process. Um, But at the end of the day, that water that we put down the drain is the same strength as uh, a single family home, the water that they put down the drain in a day. So we're removing all of the organic material that really wreaks havoc um, on our land and our rivers and putting clean water, pretty clean water down the drain. And the good news for our town is that uh, that also helps dilute the water that's going into the municipality's wastewater system because we have some pretty big polluters up the hill from us. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it's good on a, a lot of different ways. Not only are we not putting dirty water down the drain, but we're helping to dilute some of the bigger polluters. Interesting. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think I- back in the day, I think we used to always think, you know, Making beer is a pretty clean process, right? Making food is pretty clean. This is organic material. We're not talking about chemicals. um, But what we really know now, it's that organic material is what really just throws our ecosystem off. That's why we have algae blooms on our lakes. And, you know, it's a problem. So whether you're making gin or you're making beer or kombucha or bread, we need to find a way to side stream our, our highest strength effluent. It's really critical. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Now let's shift over to the equity and inclusion initiatives of the brewery. Um, it looks like those started, those started um, not like about three years ago, right? Two years ago. We have always been an inclusive workplace um, and we've always had programs to um, strengthen our, our inclusive workplace, but um after the murder of George Floyd, we released um, an action plan um, to fight systemic racism in our Mm -hmm. community and also in the craft beer industry. So for just about almost two years now, we've really been actively um, pursuing that action plan um, in a lot of different ways. Um, You know, investing in um, black and brown artists and um, to make our silo art here at the brewery or a new label and just bringing in new musicians and just mm-hmm. being inclusive of everyone all around. Um, and then also working with our community, um, with their racial equity group to, um, bring other businesses on to create a more welcoming community. Cause we've, we've had issues here in our small rural town for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, it's very important that the message keeps getting, 
talked about because I would say over the last two years, you know, we've had ebbs and flows of really loud messaging on equity and inclusion, and then it kind of dies down. But I think what ends up winning in the long run is just a consistent drum beat of the drum, right? A consistent beat of the drum, a consistent action, um, a consistent announcements of of result based initiatives, right? Versus um, everyone rising up and having this super hysterical, hysterical moment after an event and then letting it kind of wait away. So um, it sounds to me like, um, you, you know, Josh wrote in the notes here, you guys have a 2020 action plan to focus on three things. And it sounds to me like that's paving the way for some tangible results that you guys can share with the beer community, share with your local community, share with other breweries that if they wanted to um, learn more about that. For sure. And we've also been providing training and um, resources for our employees who have children in the school systems so that they can go to school boards and ask them what they're doing um, to help build the future workforce that can can work in an inclusive environment that can work right. alongside people of the, the global majority. That's really important. So uh, we're working with our, our employees and their families to kind of push education reform as well. Yeah. Um, talk to me how the Alchemist Foundation loops into all of this. Okay. Um, the Alchemist Foundation is our charitable arm. Uh, we started the foundation because we began awarding scholarships to local graduating seniors about a decade ago. Um, and until we opened our foundation, we were just gifting scholarships. There was no way to do it without a foundation. So we opened our foundation um, and we hired an executive director. And now we have a very robust scholarship program. Um, we, um, we award about 15 to 20 scholarships per year to local graduating seniors. Um, and then we also invest in, um, you know, uh, programs at schools, uh, bringing musicians in, artists, um, all sorts of investments in the school. Are the scholarships aimed toward any specific industry or degree or trade, or is it? No, for us, we're really looking for students that probably aren't getting a lot of other scholarships where this mm -hmm. scholarship is going to make the difference for them. Um, we're looking for students that sure they can get A's, but if they get B's and C's, that's fine too. We really want to get the students that might get left behind. That's who we're really trying to target. Um, and then we're also providing information to these students for other career pathways, not just college, you know, um, helping them learn more about the trades and things that are available yeah. there. We also, um, funded a pilot program at the local community college to teach um, kids that weren't going to college essential skills so that they would be able to enter the workforce when they graduated high school. So that was a great program. Um, so yeah, I think for us, especially being in a rural state, our future workforce is so incredi incredibly important to us, especially those kids that don't leave the state of Vermont to go to college. The ones that are here, those are the kids we really need to invest in. And we yeah. need to make sure we can fill our jobs 10 years from now. Yeah. I love that. I think it's so incredibly important. And I also think the future of higher education, you know, post high school is very uncertain. It's the traditional four-year degree 
I, I mean, I have three young children and I don't know if the traditional four year degree is going to be the best route when they get to when they get to college. Um, it may be some specialized engineering program or coding program. It may be some specialized sprint technical program. So higher ed is one industry that has not been disrupted. I think it's ripe for disruption. And that's where your trades and your specialized knowledge is, is really going to come, come forward. So I'm, I'm, you know, my, my parent playbook tells me one thing, right? The kid, high school, college move on, but I, I don't think that's the case anymore. And I do agree with you that having a feeder program, uh, having a foundational feeder program for to support the local economy is great. It's huge because uh, things are changing pretty fast when it comes to education. Yeah, they really are. And I think, you know, we're not the only ones with workforce shortages. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we need to invest in our kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something we're really trying to do now, you know, we're any opportunity we get, we try to provide exposure to kids. So, you know, some of our female brewers might go and talk to kids at school. I mean, anything we can do to kind of, you know, energize these kids and give them some ideas of things they can do outside of the box. It's really exciting. Yep. And, you know, it's so exciting to see so many young women getting into brewing today. Oh, totally. Really I think it's, it, it is very exciting. Are you guys going to be at CBC this year? We are not. We are You're not. not. No. Yeah. Uh, I think we just, our son graduates college in June. We found out we were pregnant with him the day after we opened our pub back in 2003. We literally had 18 new employees, $500 in the bank, no health insurance. We found out we were pregnant. Everything worked out. Um, But John and I are uh, very sad. Our son is now graduating. It's now been 18 years, uh, but we're also really looking forward to doing some traveling. So we're going to be doing a bit of a sabbatical of sorts september october doing some traveling so oh excited. sweet yeah wait um anything oh are you gonna are you gonna be around the u.s or are you leaving oh, europe. Yeah. <laughs> europe yeah that's great that's really really good so tell us about any exciting plans you guys have for 2022 and, and beyond yeah. that you that you're willing to share Yeah, well, I think the most exciting thing for us here is that we're going to be opening up to the public again. We haven't been open to the public inside for almost two years. We did our beer garden all summer, um, but we're really excited to reopen, but it's going to be a totally different format. It used to be you would come into our visitor center and you would get free samples. You'd look around at some merch and then you'd buy your beer. We're not pouring free samples anymore. We actually will have an area for people to sit down, um, have a beer off of our beer engine that we're putting in or have a can of beer or select something from our bottle list. And we have a pretty big list that we're working on. John's been having a lot of fun with the sour beers um, for gosh, the last 10 years, lots of blending and a lot of special things are going to be on that bottle list only available here. So we're super excited. Um, We've already started our staff training to make sure everyone pour a perfect beer, do nice bottle service. And we're just really excited to, to give that service again, that experience. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it sounds to me like you're setting up a really upscale experience. 
it's a, uh, it's, you know what? I don't want to say upscale. It's going to be super simple. You know, we don't want to be a restaurant. We want to be a place where you can just come in and be in the brewery and smell the brewery and hear the brewery and have an awesome bottle or of beer or a beer on draft and just a little light snack. And yeah, that's the experience we're looking for. We don't want to get bogged down in a restaurant again, sure. um, but, but we're really excited to have people back in the building. We really are. Yeah. I get that question all the time about when is it, when can we open back up? Like when can we, you know, and these are coming from major markets, small markets, rural markets, urban markets. And, you know, I I don't have a crystal ball as to what the temperature of that city is or that, that, that market is, but I I kind of say at some point you've got to either stick your flag in the ground and be like we're doing this or or we're not and and but you know a lot of breweries are getting I would say frustrated they're getting just exhausted of the, the not having the full taproom experience like pre 19 2019 and before they really miss that the staff misses it the, the building almost misses it because it was such a unique experience for, for customers. So that'll be, that'll be really awesome for you guys to get um, back up and running again. Uh, that's just it. It's the vibrancy. You just miss seeing your neighbors and your, and your community members or the beer geek that's been coming to your brewery for the last 15 years. You know, you look forward to seeing her and him every year. So, you know, we miss yeah. those people. We really do. It's been a tough couple of years to have any business. It really has. Um, between managing COVID and how you're going to, you know, deal with regulations and work, um, requiring vaccination, all these questions, you know, employees being upset with one another if someone does, isn't vaccinated, you know, the, the employee relations, making sure everyone's mental health is okay. That has been pretty much a full-time job here. Um, We've had a couple of interventions during COVID. We've had people ask them to seek mental help for their mental health. Um, it's real. You know, people are struggling. So I think I'm not the only one. I think for a lot of business owners, that's just, that's taken the, the priority of most of my time. That's what it's yeah. focused on. Is everyone okay? Is everyone happy? Is everyone healthy? Right. I think it's interesting that you say that because the workforce really has been divided between essential and non-essential and the essential had to just continue going back um, in most cases without any sort of break or regard and non-essential have, have been, have been at home. So you have this divide where there's been a mental angst on both sides, right? If, if someone is essential that has, children at home or, or, or what have you, it, that, that adds, that adds stress. And then for, for the people that have been isolated for, for so long. Yeah. So it's, you're right. The last two years have been just a total, total cluster, but I th- I can, I can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel, I think. Yeah. You know, we um, retained most of our staff when we close to the public downstairs because you know, we're still doing curbside and we're mm-hmm. still canning all of our beer. We have our regular brew schedule, but we did have a handful of employees that were home for probably six months. Um, and I can tell you that the people that worked were in much better shape throughout COVID than the people that were at home. Um, yeah. 
quarantine. And, you know, I understand that a lot of people had to be home for health reasons, but it really does take a toll. And then I'm sure you see it too. Some of these people that are then home for a year or more, then they're, they're almost afraid to leave the house now, you know, yes. it's, a, it's a crazy, scary thing. Um, so I, for one, I'm, I'm ready to just get on with business. I'm ready. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I, I did not realize that until about six months ago that, that, the isolation almost becomes contagious and you start questioning every decision regarding going to restaurants, going to grocery store, and you're just kind of like, I mean, you've lived off Instacart and you lived off delivery for a year and a half. And now you're like, well, how do I assimilate back into what I used to do? And um, yeah. So, but I think, I think most markets are coming around and, and um so grateful for science and so grateful for what uh, the vaccines have, have given us an opportunity to do. So. Absolutely. I think we're going to have a great summer. I see lots of notices for beer festivals and events. I think it's not another false start. I think this is the real deal. Yep. Sweet Jen. Well, Hey, where can we learn more about the alchemist? If you, most people already know about, but if you want to tell us where we can learn more about the alchemist, yeah, go to our website, alchemistbeer.com. Mm-hmm. And we have a great Instagram feed. A guy named Shane does it. Great guy. Lots of great photos. Reach out to us. We're always here. Open book. If anyone wants to know about environmental work, you know, wastewater, any of our Jedi work, we're happy to share. We're an open book with the Alchemist. Sweet. Not the heady topper recipe, but, you know, everything else. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it first, people. If you want the Heady Topper recipe, call Jen. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I appreciate you joining us on True Craft Podcast. It's been an honor speaking to you guys and best of luck in 2022. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Craft Podcast. Links to cool information about our guests and other fun facts can be found in the show notes. The show is produced by Josh Barnhart and sponsored by Small Batch Standard. Small Batch Standard is the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. We help craft breweries grow profits through outsourced accounting, tax compliance, and growth consulting. Visit SB Standard today to learn more and request a discovery call with the team. Peace out.